As a homeowner, I can't help myself. I'm always thinking about fixing this and changing that. For the money, for the beauty, for the knowledge and the peace of mind. It's about time for the Love My Renovation Project with Mike Young.
blogs we read, there's a lot of consultants out there that feel there's too many consultants in their area. Well, that's because they're not marketing themselves as they should be. If you're looking to get calls and be buried in work from the HUD list, you are dreaming and you will never be busy enough. What you need to do is you need to market yourself, market your services. Now, our services are sold at 203ksoftware.com. Um, you can take the training course for $489, and guess what? We'll show you that the more consultants in your area being out there pushing the product, the more business you can do, all of you. Because you've got more people talking it up with the realtors. You've got more people selling the product. All of a sudden, there's more product sold, so everybody gets busier. A rising tide lifts all boats in the harbor. But if you want to be the biggest boat lifted or the highest boat lifted, you need to market yourself and not wait around for somebody to call you. We see so many times that somebody lives just outside of a major city, like Blyville, South Carolina. So if somebody's searching for a 203K consultant in Blyville, you're going to find them. Him. That's the only one. It's only one of them. But if you search Columbia, South Carolina, you'll find 20 of them, and you can choose. So... The HUD website has really always been a very poor way to get business, although you will get some. Uh, we got a kick out of San Francisco jurisdiction years ago. HUD decided the head of the the local hawk or the guy in charge of the 203K decided that he thought I was hogging the work when, in fact, we were sharing the work with anybody who would come to one of our seminars. We guaranteed to do is send them home with a job. But they didn't like being embarrassed when they were trying to embarrass me at a meeting. So they started handing 850 jobs to one consultant. It turned out that his lender was his sister or sister-in-law. His contractor was his brother-in-law. It was the worst uh, violation you could have because HUD was handing him all this stuff and it turned out that he was running a crew that was all related one way or another. So HUD stepped in it. Oh, he was reprimanded, reprimanded and moved. He's no longer in charge of anything 203K, but I hear he's in Louisiana now, probably in some backwoods country or county rather or parish, I guess they call them, in Louisiana. Anyway, let's get started. If you find yourself with an issue on your renovation loan, regardless of who you are in the process, if you're the loan officer and something's gone wrong, you're about to lose your commission, if you're a realtor and you got a 203K going and all of a sudden you just realize it's not being closed rapidly. There are so many out there that say it takes 45 to 60 days. If you can close a 203B in 30 days, you can close a 203K in 30 days. Okay. And I had a 
young gal, Gina, doing her very first 203K. She was in California. I told her, all you got to do is concentrate on 203B aspects. We're going to do everything else for you. Not all consultants do that, but we do. And our crew does. So she took her very first full 203K and closed it in 28 days and was in awe and shock. Uh, we had another gal in South, in Columbia, South Carolina at that. And uh, she said, I want to be the best uh, lender in the Carolinas doing a 203K. What do I have to do? I said, that's simple. Concentrate on your 203B park. Close it as fast as you can. And we'll meet you in a couple of weeks with our part, and you can close the loan. She said, really? So she tried it. She closed her first full 203K in 21 days and called me and said, hey, why is everybody saying 45 to 60? This was actually very simple. It was as easy as 203B. Well, that's because we, the Mike Young team, does everything for them except the 203B part. 203K is a 203B with a construction company. We're going to create the scope of work. We're going to help put a work write-up together. We're going to give you all the contracts that you need to close your 203K. The only thing the lender has to do other than their 203B is one form, and that form is the maximum mortgage worksheet. HUD requires the lender to fill that one out. However, if you want one filled out, we can certainly click a button and send it to you so you can see where all of our numbers fit into the maximum mortgage worksheet, and you can just fill yours in off of it. So we do a lot more for our lenders than most of our competition. Let's see, last week we heard a problem where the lender or loan officer wants us to cut the scope of work cost, but not the scope of work. <laughs> On a blog yesterday, or day before, I was reading that is a common problem. Loan officers got in trouble, and then the national NMLS number was issued to all loan officers so they can keep track of how many foreclosures each loan officer is getting per annually. Now they're going to do it by telling us, the consultant, can you cut the uh, scope of work down, uh, the cost of it? Uh, use the contingency. Do all these things, you know. So if you've got a contingency of $20,000 and a $100,000 scope of work, can you cut it down to $85,000 and, and use the contingency? Well, it defeats the purpose of the contingency. Yeah, there are consultants that will do that. But do you want to be that consultant? Uh, the loan officer is going to get a loan that fails. Yes, they got a commission. But did they serve the community? Did they serve that borrower? You know, many times you didn't serve the borrower at all. What you did was you put the borrower between a rock and a hard place and it's going to take them, if there's any hiccups in the project, and a contingency is actually needed for unknown issues, as it's supposed to be, there's not going to be any money there. 
maybe that loan shouldn't have gone through in the first place. You know, that's exactly why the NMLS numbers were issued. If the dollars are cut to appease the loan officer and get the loan amount down just so the client qualifies, will the project get stalled at the end with the work unfinished and unable to be finished for the lack of money? Then what? How do you then finish the project? You don't. But guess what? Everybody will be pointing fingers at the consultant saying, you screwed up. You shouldn't have let that happen. So I'm telling consultants around the country, don't do that. Don't do it. We all do it. Okay, we all have been confronted with that. Well, it's only a little bit. Can you help us here? No. Why don't you do your job and, you know, fix their uh, credit score a little bit so that they can qualify for more money? There's a lot of things that you can do to salvage that deal. Why does it need to be cut, the, you know, leave the scope of work alone, just cut the cost to do it? You know, you need to talk to the contractor. If they can do it for less money, that's another thing. But if they think they can and they can't, what's going to happen with that deal? Is it going to go south? I don't want it to, but it certainly might. So anyway. One of the worst things that I see, all right, and I dread to hear it when I get a 203K project, is the borrower says, I want to complete some of this work myself. So after it closes and outside the contractor's scope of work, contractor won't be doing this. You know, they typically will get in the way of the contractor and actually slow the progress of their construction project. I've seen borrowers want to paint the interior. They, every borrower in the world thinks they're a painter. Well, if it needs paint, it has to be in the scope of work. If it doesn't really need it, if you could live with that paint, then they could do that. But inevitably, the contractor will be ready there to install the floor coverings, and the owner says, oh, no, 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 I'm going to paint first. I'll paint this weekend. Well, it's Monday. Why didn't you paint last weekend? You know, you're actually holding up your project. You're costing the contractor time on this project. You know, I've got a couple of contractors that I found to be the fastest 203K or renovation contractors I've ever dealt with. They're fabulous. They are fabulous. I mean, it's so fun to work with these guys because they get in and get the project completed quickly and in a professional workmanlike manner. So, but not if you're going to get in their way every time you turn around, uh, if you turn around. But even if you're a licensed contractor doing self-help and the lender agrees to it, you're getting in your own way because for some reason, and my dad was no exception, you take on work that you couldn't do. We had a furnace that had a, a crack in the heat exchanger, and every time it went on, you could hear that darn heat exchanger cracking as this. It would bang, sound like somebody hit it with a hammer. Uh, he was a sheet metal contractor, and general contractors do the same thing. They get a new order, and they get working on it because it's bringing in the money. And they forget about their project. All of a sudden, the wife is screaming at them because there's no contractor there. Other than them, there's no one to scream at. So guess what? Now the tension in the family is higher. Everybody's blaming dead. 
because he's not getting the job done, or mom if she's the contractor. I'm not saying it's always one way. Uh, but the owner-client is not served well in these scenarios, any of them. So uh, Anyway, call us at 888-627-6008 if you want to be part of the show. We'd love to hear from you. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. Hang in there. We've been looking for a home in a great neighborhood, but they're all too small. Then we heard about the FHA 203K loan program, where we can add a room or two when we purchase and get a single loan to cover both the purchase and the room addition. What a great idea. Welcome back. Hey, call us at 888-627-6008 if you want to be part of the program. We'd love to hear from the audience. But in any case, every 203K project should begin with a consultant. You know, we're going to send them back to a lender, and guess what? Who knows what lenders can close the loans in 28 days versus 60 days? Guess what? Your consultant does. So get all of the consultant. He'll direct you to his favorite lender who gets them closed quickly. And then get your lender out there and do your job. Uh, you know, let them know. It's always good if you have a list of things that you want to fix. We'll make the list of what you have to fix and add those two together, and you're going to get the home that you desire. But what a great idea if you're in, you want the neighborhood, a specific neighborhood, and there's a house there, and you want four bedrooms, but this one is perfect in every way except it's three bedrooms. You can add a room. You can add a garage, detached or attached. Uh, don't do what some people try to do, and they want to add a detached garage and put an in-law quarters above it. So they say, well, we're going to put a storage unit above it. HUD is not stupid, and neither are your consultants. Uh, when you put a detached garage and you make it an extra storage room and you want to finish it with drywall and you want to put some plumbing in the walls ahead of time for a bathroom and a kitchenette, you know, nobody's stupid. And for the homeowner to think somebody is that stupid, all you're doing is committing fraud and asking uh, for some unwilling participants. Or in this case, if they're that stupid, then they're willing participants. Don't do that. So if you want a lab living area, then a garage must be attached with a common wall with the house, not just a breezeway. And yet in 1994, breezeways were acceptable. You could put a breezeway there. You could add a attached garage to a wall, and then another garage, and then another unit, if the lot so allowed it, and the zoning allowed it. So um, I understand 
there's many consultants that have been trained to require a contractor bid prior to ever going out to see the property. This is against the guideline. This is not according to the guideline. I know of one major lender. I mean, I don't know if there are a major lender in the whole scheme of things, but they do a lot of loans, and they, they push uh, hard on the uh, well, their associate lenders, not with their company name, but with other company names that bring loans to them. And they suggest they get out and get a couple of contractors' bids, bids before they bring the consultant in. What you're doing, homeowners, if you're doing it that way, more power and good luck to you because you're taking away the ability for the consultant to really shine and do their job. I bid one job at $159,000. Bid it in four days. We put the scope of work out, but the homeowner says, I have a contractor. We don't need to put it out anywhere else. Just give me the scope with no prices, and we give it to them. I bid it at 149 in four days. They took four and a half weeks. Got all their subs out there. Got contracts, put their markup on it, and they came in at 298000 Now, that homeowner had talked to that contractor at length and was so proud of the work they did. You guys are fabulous. What you're doing is saying, you guys can charge me anything you want because I like your work so much. So you're tying the hands of the, of the consultant. This lady was 24 years old buying her first house ever, and her comment to me was, do you even know what you're doing? I had to laugh, uh, but it kind of ticked me off. So she says, go ahead and find a contractor that'll do it for me for 159000 And I said, no. No, I would have, I could bring a dozen contractors that'll do it for that price, but at this point, you've embarrassed yourself. And I want to furl, you know, just push that along. Uh, so she got another contractor bid on her own, and it came in at 161, 2,000 different than my bid. At that point, she realized that she was about to be ripped off by a contractor to the tune of $130,000. But that contractor didn't understand that we had bid the job. We do that in advance so that you have an idea where this project should come in. That doesn't mean that we're going to be on the money all the time, but we're going to be darn close to fair. Now, you know, we got that one going in Southern California right now. They already got their contractor bid, 168000 uh, We came in. They handed us the bid. I mainly used it for the scope. I wanted to see what he was doing. But the first thing I did was 168000 for adding, I think it was, a, I want to say 175 square feet. So if you take the square footage, the dollars divided by the square footage, he was charging them over $650 a square foot for a room addition. Now, in San Jose, I know that's 225 bucks per square foot for a room addition, and 175 to rehab what's already there. So 
so I started looking at the cost per square foot, and my, I called the client. I said, you know, I've got to bid this. It's going to take me a few days, but um, I'm breaking it down. I'm going to bid the job, and I was all I could do to get it up to a hundred thousand. I couldn't see where they could possibly charge anything over a hundred thousand. And I also sent it out to another contractor who bid it at eighty-eight thousand dollars. And I said, "Well, that's an excellent bid." So we actually switched contractors, and they're closing loans soon. Uh, but it's it's so important what the consultant does for the client. I mean, it is very important. But you can disable the consultant by getting bids ahead of time, getting approved ahead of time for those higher bid numbers. There's just so much that we can do, and if you tie our hands, we can't do it. So the consultant has a tremendous, I don't know, uh, a tremendous responsibility, if nothing else, to get this right the first time. Uh, we like to take a trainee with us on every project and let them do an independent bit of their own based on the same facts and figures that we know. That way we have something to compare to also and someone to talk to. Hey, what did you think about that? Uh, what's the difference between a home inspection and a 203K inspection? and write-up. That, that's always a question. Home inspectors typically look at a problem and say, I recommend you have a roofer, licensed roofer, look at the roof, because it's got some issues. And I recommend that you have somebody here, uh, maybe a pest control company, come out and look at that damage you got underneath the house. And I recommend an engineer look at the foundation, because it looks like it's cracked over here. Well, a crack may or may not be worthy of an engineer looking at it. You know, minor cracks, there's no deflection, there's no separation. Why would you have an engineer look at something that's just a hairline crack? Well, a consultant is going to look and make those decisions. If he thinks the roof is bad, he's going to put a new roof. If he thinks the trusses are broken, he's going to replace the broken trusses. But he's not going to suggest that you call a licensed roofer and, and get that figured out, that's a general contractor's problem. He's going to write the scope up in a way that you will actually get it done uh, and will we'll make it part of the scope of work. Realtors, if you're selling a house and it's got an iffy roof, make it a renovation loan and put a new roof on it. That way you're not going to get sued when it leaks this winter because it'll be a brand new roof. And if it does leak then, you just send them back for their warranty on the roof. Everything a, con a contractor does on a renovation loan is warranted for a year. A whole year. So if anything breaks down and they call you and say, oh, the roof's leaking. Well, didn't you put a new roof? Yeah, we did, but it's leaking. Well, call the, co call the roofer. Call the GC. Let him call the roofer. He, you know, if he hired him. So, and anyway, uh, these are all things that can be done and should be done. But the last thing you should do is order a contractor bid first. Why in the world would you order a contractor bid first? Uh, anyway, we get calls 
from people all over the country. One of the services we provide is we help find consultants that know what they're doing, hopefully, uh, around the country because the HUD list is so poorly put together. Uh, so we lenders can place an order on our website and we find a consultant for them, save them hours sometimes of finding, calling and finding that these consultants are not in business anymore. I love it when HUD says, you know, every two years you need to recertify. I got a friend, two friends that are dead. They passed away several years ago. They're still on the list. But by God, if I didn't recertify, I wouldn't be on the list. <laughs> These are hilarious things that they're doing to us. But HUD and its infinite wisdom uh, does it their way. Yes, they're the 10,000-pound gorilla in the room at any time. So, hey, call us at 888-627-6008, toll free to be part of the show. Uh, we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. So hang in there. We found the perfect house, but there's been no updating it for many years. Then we heard about the FHA 203K, where we can buy that home and get the money to fix it up all in one low interest rate loan. What a great idea. Hey, welcome back. Call us at 888 888- to be part of the show, ask your questions. Let's just have a talk, just discuss it with the see if we can't figure out how to help you through your problem. Uh, There also is a nomenclature issue. Uh, We've got a lender in Florida that thinks everything he wants is a feasibility analysis. What he's really asking for is a detailed scope of work, which is not a feasibility, by the way. So when do you use a feasibility? A feasibility, a report, or analysis, what's its purpose? You get a written report is included with every feasibility, not something where they call you up on the phone and say, well, we can fix that house for all the things we discussed for $162,000. No, that's not a feasibility. A feasibility is a written report. But it is not a detailed enough, if it's done right, it's not detailed enough to send out and get bids from a contractor. That would be a scope of work. Different price, separate product. Uh, If you order feasibility, it does not mean that they're going to take the price of the feasibility off of the final work consultation when they order it. But what is a feasibility for? When is somebody going to use it? Well, it could be used for a, for a seller. If a seller is a smart seller and he knows his property has some work to be done and they want to get the highest possible amount for the property, but they do understand that it needs some work, well, we're going to provide a report, a limited report, that identifies the items that are health and safety and of necessity under the FHA minimum property standards. MPS, Minimum Property Standards. 
This is all the seller is interested in. When a seller is selling a property, he is not, or shouldn't be anyway, slightest bit interested in what you want to do to the house beyond minimum property standard. That's not his problem. Okay, but he should be delivering it to you up to minimum property standards. And if the property's been neglected for 25 or 30 years, there may be quite a bit of work. There might be quite a bit of work that needs to be done just to bring it to HUD's minimum property standards. Now, if a seller is a bank or lending institution, we also could provide a estimate of repairs of what most potential buyers might do, such as maybe in this house they would update the kitchen, even though it's fine as it is. And we call that our enhanced feasibility. So you have a seller's feasibility, and that tells the seller the most that you have to negotiate is the minimum property standards, and you have $36,000 in minimum property standards construction. So if this house would like it in the neighborhood or selling for $250,000, you're going to take $36,000 off of that. Let's say forty, dollars just to round it off. You're going to sell yours for two ten. So when the offers start coming in and they start coming in at one eighty and two hundred, you have a piece of paper in your hand that you can bring forward and say, "Look, to bring it to minimum property standards is thirty six thousand dollars. So the minimum bid I'm going to take is going to be two fifty less thirty six thousand, two hundred fourteen thousand. That's where the price is." And they can be firm, and they don't have to kowtow to uh, investors that are coming in with all cash and all that, unless they want to, but it's their decision. It's not a must. Now, a buyer, on the other hand, he might want a feasibility, or she might want a feasibility, uh, and there's two for them, too. We can give them a minimum property standard feasibility, which is the standard feasibility. Um, but if they're about to place an offer on a property that needs repairs and they don't have an idea how much the repairs are going to cost, it makes it difficult to know what to offer. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, you can offer anything. I've bought and sold over 300 buildings, lots and lots of units. So you could offer something right now. Offer full price, subject to your inspections. So you offer full at at a hundred dollars to full price, so that you if somebody else offers full price, you'll get it. I mean that's that's a great way to do and get business. So you offer full price or a little bit more, a hundred dollars more, uh, just so that you're first in line, subject to your inspections. And when your consultant gets out there and starts putting your bids together for you. You can come back and say, hey, 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 we have to change this downward. We found you have the following items. And I can't tell you how many times bank-owned properties, they say, I don't want a list of those items because they don't want to have to disclose it to somebody else. You know, I've had them throw it back when we threw it on their desk. you got all these issues with this house. Oh, no, no, I don't want it. They throw it back, you know, or they don't touch it at all. They say, take it, get it off my desk. Uh, because they're afraid. 
I, I remember one, I was doing a, I think it was a triplex or a, it was a triplex. And uh, when I got there, the listing agent showed up before the, the buyer's agent. And we all, then all of a sudden we were all there. And this uh, listing agent comes over and he says, who's Mike Young? I said, I'm Mike Young. Why? The price of this place has already been negotiated. And I said, so what? I don't understand. I'm here to inspect it. I'm not here to negotiate price. I'm not. It's not my job. Well, we just want to make sure you understand that the price has already been negotiated. Well, well, I got there a little bit early, and I pulled this paperwork off of the sign out in front of the house. They had all this little listing information, and I had been reading through it. And I just said, look, uh, who's letting me in? <laughs> Let's get this thing started. Well, when I got in the basement, I saw something. There was water pouring down from the back of the house towards the front of the house. And I started looking, and they had two jack stands with a 4x6 holding the center of that house up. And I, I dug that piece of paper out and looked at it again, and it says, well, look at this. It says it has a brand-new foundation. And the buyer's agent said, well, what, what does that mean? What do you mean? I said, well, how many brand-new foundations have water running through this like that? So I was able to walk to the back, and I saw that there was no foundation across the back of the house. So they had replaced the foundation on two sides and the front of the building, but not across the back. And here this thing said it has a brand-new foundation. So I shot pictures of the uh, jack stands and the 4x4 four four being held up and the water rushing in about an 8-inch an round uh, flow of water coming down under those jack stands and by those jack stands. And a lot of water was coming in from the back. So every drain in the entire building and on the block behind us apparently was coming under this house. Uh, <laughs> so I wrote up a letter to my clients, not to the seller's agent, and he Seller's agent got a hold of it, put down and dropped it on the guy's desk who was listing the property, had listed the property, and he said, I said that we're not negotiating the price. I said, and he said, well, you also said it had a brand-new foundation right here on this piece of paper. It has a brand-new foundation. And he said, well, no, it has three-quarters of a brand-new foundation and one failed side. And all this water, look at the gushing water coming down through here. That's all coming in from the back of the house. There's no foundation back there. Oh, my God. And how much is it going to cost to fix that? Uh, well, Mike says it'll be $18,000. Fine, write up a new contract, drop the 18000 and let's get this thing done. Just get it closed. Now, here was a bank-owned property, and the selling agent had written up without proper knowledge, it would have done him good to get a feasibility ahead of time before he ever listed it and spend the money. It wasn't that much money for a feasibility. 
So what happened was he made the decision on his own. He didn't have to go back to the bank and say, why? Why was that? Why was he able to make that decision that fast to go ahead and write up a new contract, drop 18000 off of it, and just get this thing closed? Well, it was because the bank that hired him to sell it depended on him to put a sales price on it, which he did, and depended on him to get it sold, but he screwed up. He called it a brand new foundation because he didn't look, walk through the house properly. And he knew that that bank would hang him for his Eno insurance. There's no loyalty. The bank that had him sell that property would have given him up for 18000 on his E&O insurance in a heartbeat. So they weren't hurt by his mistake. And he knew it, so he dropped the price. But I thought it was really interesting that he was out there ahead of time. Who's Young? Who's Mr. Young? We ain't negotiating the price. You know, it just kind of was a challenge at that point. I was looking for anything that I could find. And I found something that was fairly, you know, fairly substantial. And he did negotiate the price. If it wasn't a negotiation, he just dropped the price. So feasibilities are, they have their place. But a feasibility should not be shoved down every buyer's or every borrower's throat. A feasibility has a place. So let's say that you have a homeowner. He's been living there, and he decides to do a room addition. He calls for a 203K. He doesn't need a home inspection. He comes with a property inspection. How else would we know what to fix? It comes with it. You can't sell him a home inspection on every 203K. Though some of you are being taught to do that, it's actually really crappy. Not every homeowner needs or wants a doggone uh, home inspection on every project. So I see we're backed up against the crock wall. Uh, Doug is waving at me. So call us at 888-627-6008. Toll free if you want to be part of the show. Stay tuned. We're going to be right back right after this. We've been looking for a home in a great neighborhood, but they're all too small. Then we heard about the FHA 203K loan program, where we can add a room or two when we purchase and get a single loan to cover both the purchase and the room addition. What a great idea. Yeah, we're back. Glad to have you back. If you want to be part of the show, you can call us at 888-627-6008. We'd love to hear from you. Um, the shows are much more interesting when we do have participation from the audience, so feel free. Uh, if you're a consultant out there and you have an interesting project you'd like to share with our listeners, have it. Let's hear it. We'd love it. Uh, that's one thing I do like about this business. Uh, I've been in it about 25, 26 years now. Uh, 
and it's fascinating because you get to see all these different houses. I mean, we've done one-year-old houses. Uh, <laughs> we had one in South Carolina years ago that I was called out on. And the house had been there. Uh, it was this whole subdivision was sitting there. They built a subdivision with houses. There was like eight houses, a minor subdivision. But their houses were completely there. And nobody had put in sewer system yet, the water system in. I mean, so these houses were built without any of the infrastructure. The streets weren't even there yet. Driveways were, but there was no street. So they were trying to get these finished. Uh, so we, what we did was we get out there and we had to document that these houses were there for at least 12 months with a certificate of occupancy 12 months earlier or more. So how in the world do we do that? These don't seem to ever have been lived in. Well, HUD had taken me a house in Richmond, California, and they I got a phone call from the head guy in San Francisco, and he says, Mike, we want you to uh, do a 203K from Blueprints on this condominium, and you're going to clone it five times. There's seven of them. Two are end units, and then you have five interior units. So you're going to have two different write-ups, uh, one for end unit and one for the interior units, and you're going to collect full fee on everything. And I said, well, where are these things? And they told me, and I said, well, you know, I've lived here all my life. There's never been anything there. Oh, yes, there was. I said, I've been here all my life. This is my neighborhood. There's never been anything here. Well, look, I'm not, this is HUD. We make the rules, and we can change them. We can build them. And I, you've got to be kidding. Um, how do I know this isn't just a test? You're wanting me to know if I know the guideline or not. Well, I know the guideline, and we can't do it on those houses. He says, go down to the city hall, building inspection department, ask for John Doe, and John will have a certificate of occupancy for each of those lots. I said, really? So I went down there, and certainly he'd come out with a certificate of occupancy. So when I got to South Carolina, it was no big deal. I mean, these guys got these eight houses. They're fully built, and nobody thought they should put a sewer system in ahead of time. How about septics? Anything. But they need to deal with the sewage, and they needed to deal with the fresh water, the drinking water. So we, before we did anything, I asked the builder. I said, how long have you been a builder in this area? He said, 45 years. I said, you know everybody down there at the building department? He says, yeah. I said, can you get us a certificate of occupancy for this house showing that it was uh, ready for occupancy more than 12 months ago? Well, I don't know. But I'll try. Well, when he got back from that meeting, he called me and he said, it was the funniest meeting I ever had. Because they've been wanting to get this subdivision finished for a long time. 
builder that was on it originally went belly up. I said, well, I can see why he didn't do anything according to Hoyle. He should have put the ground in all the underground work in there first. He said, well, I asked the guy, I told him what you wanted. You needed a certificate of occupancy older than 12 months. And the guy said, well, let me go see if I can find anything like that. Now, we had already documented a homeless guy's bunk bed in one of the rooms and been empty for two years. So he'd probably been living there for over a year. So we really did have an occupant, but we we don't have a certificate of occupancy. So this guy goes down and asks for a certificate of occupancy, explains that he can get that whole track finished if uh, we can find one of those things. And so the guy goes, well, let me go check it out in the back room, see if I can find that. A few minutes later, he comes out there, and he's waving a piece of paper in his hand and blowing on it. He's blowing the ink dry. He's look at that. We do. We got a, oh, shit. They turned and went back in the back room again and got another piece of paper, came out blowing it. He said, I put today's date on it. But this one's got the right date. 13 months ago, we issued a certificate of occupancy on this house. Now, we had 24 houses unfinished. The builder went bankrupt with 24 almost finished houses. Same situation. But do we have the same solution? I don't know. 24 homes, all they were missing was the registers and grills. Why would anybody not buy the registers and grills for that house so they could be sold? The bank should have done that. That foreclosed on them and owned all them. And they could have sold them as new houses. They were new houses, less registers and grills. What do you got? Three hundred and fifty bucks, and you got all the registers and grills for a house. So you registers and grills in, you sell it as a new home, FHA, VA, whatever. But you sell them. You know, I I don't understand the thinking of some of these people. We had a client not too long ago that. Uh, was buying a property that had, I think it was nine acres, or no, it was bigger than that. It might have been 20 acres. It had nine properties on it. Uh, well, you can only have three living quarters on it. They were already there. They were going to take the other buildings out, but one of them was a barn. You don't have to take it out. You can leave a barn there. you got 20 acres, for crying out loud. It's okay to have a horse in that area. Um, she was paying one6 a little over $1.6 million for the property. $1.6 million for the property. She needed 679000 which is the maximum uh, FHA loan amount for uh, that high area to fix up the houses that were going to be remaining. And most of that was going to go into the main house where she was going to live. So she's putting $1.6 million down and the lender was taking too long to close the loan. She called me and said, I'm going to lose this deal if they don't close this loan pretty quick. And I said, well, why don't you just use your $1.6 that you're putting down and buy the darn house and immediately refinance it? I can do that? Well, sure you can do that. Why not? You're putting all the money down in cash. Pay it down. Give it to them. Close the loan. 
and immediately go into a refi. Okay, we'll do that. I mean, the property's going to appraise over $2 million when it's fully finished. Easy. So, anyway, there's a lots of different things. And if, if you're not looking at your situation through my eyes or a different person's eyes, you may be missing some opportunities. You know, I know people that are really good at putting some deals together. I've always been known as a deal maker, uh, not a deal breaker. So, anyway, uh, the consultant must do their due diligence on every deal. So let them do their job. Hire them first. Let them create the scope. We had one. By the way, you got to know the guideline does not require a contractor bid at all. No contractor bid is required for a 203K. La-da-da. So many lenders will close the loan with the consultant's scope of work documents. As long as that contractor signs, he's agreeing to those prices. If he disagrees with a price or two, then, you know, those can be adjusted if he can show us why. But, you know, it's it's all in how you look at things. Uh, <laughs> I, I love it. Uh, the one friend of mine called me and wanted me to look at a schoolhouse that was being transposed uh, or turned into a living quarters. It was already being used as a single-family house, but they wanted to update the kitchen and make it look more like a house on the inside, but they wanted to keep the school look on the outside. They even had the school's name on it on the outside, so they didn't want to take that down. And there was another one just three or four miles away that had been done a few years earlier, so it's not the first one. But the lender asked me, can, uh, can you come and take a look and see if we can do this? I said, I don't need to look at it. We can do it. Oh, gosh, you got to look at it. Right? I've been turned down by four lenders. I said, I'm telling you, I've got lenders that will do it. Well, he hassled me and told me he'd buy me lunch. I said, I get paid $350 for a feasibility analysis, and you're going to give me lunch instead? Ooh, I can't turn that down. <laughs> He's a nice guy, so we went to lunch, and he bought. I didn't eat a big lunch anyway, but uh, it was funny because when I got there, I said, well, I every, nothing's changed. We can still do it. And I got on the phone, and I dialed a lender, put him on this. After he answered the phone, and I heard his company name, I put him on the speaker, and I said, hey, can we put a turn this school into a single-family house? And just like we did last week in Oakland, California? He said, well, of course. You know how to write it up. I said, cool. I hung up. And this broker asked me, he said, well, who the heck was that? And when I told him, he said, they're the first people that turned me down. I said, well, sometimes it's not what you're trying to do. It's the way you present it. You obviously didn't present it well. So he immediately gets on his phone, calls in and talks to that guy. And he says, why'd you tell me no and you tell me yes now to Mike? What way? He said, all right, no. And he hangs the phone up in his ear. Some people don't know when to shut up. 
It's that simple. Uh, you got the deal, don't oversell it. What do they say back in the old days? Uh, sales presentations. Uh, you spend the first five minutes selling a product, and you spend the next five minutes buying it back. Well, that's what this guy did. See, we had it sold. We were ready to do it. And he was going to make a loan, but he would rather satisfy his ego and call the lender up and say, well, how come you didn't tell me yes? You know, well, that's antagonistic to say the least. So, so anyway, the key is that we wanted to get the right information to the right people at the right time in a, in a manner that they will make the right decision, the one you want. So... Anyway, thank you for being with us today. We do appreciate it. Join us next week on Sunday between 1 and 2 Pacific Standard Time. Uh, this is coming, this broadcast is coming from our Las Vegas, Nevada office. We've been here now for, gosh, a year and a half already. We look forward to seeing you next time. Bring some questions. Plan on calling us. In the meantime, may God bless you. Tune in every Sunday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time to BBS Radio Station 1 and learn more about making home renovations possible, profitable, and hassle-free. Isn't it time you learned how to make money doing something you love? Visit 203konline.com now and let's get your home makeover projects done right. <laughs>